Let's take a moment. If you have your Bible, will you open it with me to Titus chapter 3? Titus chapter 3. And if you need a Bible, simply slip up your hands and uh, the ushers would be happy to see to it that you can follow along with your eyes this morning as well as your ears. We are going to read congregationally verses 8 through 15. And then I'm going to back us up and walk us through the the end of this chapter, uh, verse by verse. So with that, would you stand with me now for the reading of God's word? I'll begin with verse 8. If you'll take verse 9, then I'll take verse 10 and so forth. The scriptures are up on the screen if you'd like to refer to that. Or you can just read from your, your digital device or... Good old-fashioned paper Bible here. So we have Titus chapter 3, verse 8. I'll read. It says, This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Verse 9. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition. When I send Artemis to you, or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. And let our people learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. Pray with me, please. Lord, we thank you for what a blessing this book of Titus has been and is. And as we close our study of this book this morning, as we spend our time in your word, would you, as always, speak to us. You said that my sheep hear my voice. So Lord, we're here gathered, listening, asking you to speak. That in that speak, Lord, you might find us willing to hear. And if there would be a command or an exhortation, if there would be a direction, Lord, that we would receive it and apply it to our lives. For we ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Please be seated. Dave, could you turn this down just a little bit, please? Thank you. So I've entitled this morning's message, What Christians Should Avoid and Reject. But I want to back you up to to verse 8 again, because we we read it in the beginning of our reading just a moment ago, that there is something faithful being said. 
the amplified version of the text is quite uh, eye-opening. I'd like to share it with you. The Amplified reads this way. This is a faithful and trustworthy saying. And concerning these things, I want you to speak with great confidence so that those who have believed in God, that is, those who have trusted in, relied on, and accepted Christ Jesus as Savior, will be careful to participate in doing good and honorable things. These things are excellent in themselves and profitable for all people. And you can see how the Amplified just does. It amplifies that verse to give it a larger breadth of meaning. And primarily, Titus's letter deals with what is profitable. Profitable in the church, profitable to the life of the Christian. Profitable for all people, in other words. And so the, the question becomes, as we begin to dive into this closing aspect of the book, if you're taking note this morning or you're watching at home, we're grateful that you are, that you would underline the phrase, these things, in verse 8. These things, for what things is he referring to? Well, having dealt clearly and thoroughly with uh, these things throughout our study in the book, we saw in chapter 1, of course, that God had promised the hope of eternal life. Chapter 1, verse 3. That God had commissioned Paul to write this directive to Titus that he was to appoint elders and bishops, the two words, elders, presbyteros, bishops, episkopos, in other words, to appoint leaders in the church, verse 6 of chapter 1. And you're welcome to scroll backwards if you'd like to just kind of uh, get a peripheral view again in case you missed the study or want to see it again for yourself. That in those men that he was to appoint, whether they were elders or bishops, and it is a masculine term, not that uh, a female is, can't be placed in a position of leadership in a church or carry a specific area of leadership, but when it comes to pastoral roles, it is a masculine term. And when he refers to elder and bishop, it is a masculine term, that these men that he was to appoint into this place of leadership, verse 6 of chapter 1, were to be blameless, selfless, not quick-tempered, hospitable, just, holy, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, sober-minded, self-controlled, a lover of the things that are good, holding fast the faithful word, teachable and able to exhort and convict anyone who would contradict fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith, verses 6 through 9 of chapter 1. And Paul promised Titus that he would find, in verse 16, 
in the church, in the churches, plural, there in the cities located on the island of Crete, he would find some that verse 16 of chapter 1 profess to know God, but in works they deny him being disobedient and disqualified for every good work. That, that that element would exist there on that island. And as we've said several times throughout our study in the book, the crowd on Crete was a crude crowd. They were a rough bunch. And Titus had his work cut out for him to go into this rough crowd of individuals that had come to faith in Christ, had been walking with their understanding of the faith. And if those qualities, some of those qualities were observable in men, whatever their age, referred to later as older, that Titus was to say, hey, you... I want you to step into the role of an overseer in this little congregation. Come here, I'm going to lay hands on you and I'm going to pray for you as an elder or as a bishop. And that he, he would do that to perhaps several men in a given small body of believers. We need leaders. And that there would be those who profess to know God, but in works deny him. We also saw when it comes to these things that Paul is talking about to Titus and that we've underlined in chapter 2 that the older men, older in the faith, sometimes older chronologically in verse 2 of chapter 2, were to model for younger men things like sobriety, reverence, they were to be sound in faith, in love, and in patience. They were to model that so that other younger men could look and go, oh, okay, that's, that's what it looks like when, when Christ is working in, in the human heart of an individual. That the older women likewise were to model for younger women things like reverence, not being given to much wine. They were to be teachers of what were good things, love their husbands, to love their children, to not treat a husband or a child as an afterthought. That the women, the older women, were to model for the younger women what it meant to be discreet and chaste. Pure, conscious about their, the way they carry themselves. Homemakers, obedient to their husbands. So that, verses 3 through 5 in chapter 2, so that, not that God was seeking to uh, give the picture that, that a woman is to be dominated. No. If a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, 
take their given role as a follower of Christ, married, unmarried. This order exists in Scripture. This picture exists in Scripture. And the whole purpose there in verse 5, so that the word of God is not blasphemed or looked down upon or spoken against. Oh, that's, that's what, that's, that person is supposed to be a Christian? Oh, man, that Bible must not really be true. No. Just the opposite. That Titus was also responsible in all things to be a pattern, um, says in verses 7 and 8, of good works, integrity, incorruptibility, and sound in doctrine in chapter 2. Titus was to, to hold a pattern of that. My wife Sherry does a lot of sewing. Some of you are very aware of it. And uh, quite often, she can get a pattern out that's like, that pattern's difficult to follow, but without a pattern, it would be impossible to make. And so you place that pattern down and there's something to follow. And Paul says, Titus, I want you to show yourself to be a pattern of integrity, good works, incorruptibility, sound in doctrine. The world is, is desperate this morning for truth not only in the public sector, we've been devoid of, of real truth in the public sector for a long time, but particularly truth in the religious community, genuineness in our Christian faith, observable in changed lives. He went on in chapter 2 to tell employed people, employees are called bond servants, that they were to be well-pleasing in all things in verse 9 because, verse 11, when the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. These are the things Paul is talking about to Titus to affirm constantly these things. So it, it's not a problem that we go over this again, that we remind ourselves that that's what Titus was to go and tell the creation Christians of what this life now in Christ looks like, what it what it. Uh, fleshes itself out to be. And he was also to remind them of two things in chapter 3. He was to remind them two things. You know what they are? He was to remind them of what they are and what they were. It's a good thing to remember from whence we've fallen. And Titus was given the commission to remind those on Crete 
of what they are and what they were. Verse 1 of chapter 3, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. We gave that charge last week, didn't we? How about let's try going through the entire week without speaking evil of anyone. How'd you do? On the Richter scale, you know, one to ten, how did you do? I know I caught myself a couple of times. Go, oh, man, I asked everybody, let's, let's go through this. How'd you do? To speak evil of no one. Being peaceable, gentle, showing all humility because, he, Paul tells Titus, also remind them of what they were before they came to Christ. Verse 3, for we ourselves were also once foolish. In other words, in the past, prior to Christ coming in, our lives were desperately foolish. For we ourselves were also, chapter 3, verse 3, once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. And as I mentioned last week, I'll say it again today, anybody watching at home or maybe even in the sound of my voice might say, well, I've never been quite that bad. But do you see that in the first words of that phrase, Paul includes himself, we ourselves. And the Apostle Paul, if you've done any study about his life, very spiritual man. Of the tribe of Benjamin. A Pharisee. According to the law, blameless. And Paul recognizes that before before his encounter with the living, risen, resurrected Christ, that all of his righteousness was as filthy rags. That his keeping of the jot and the tittle of, of a legal approach to please the Heavenly Father though in his mind he thought it was accomplishing that, you recall, you've probably read it, Acts chapter 9, something happened. What happened? He met Christ on a Damascan road. An encounter. I love that word because... Have you, I've asked this question many times, I'll ask it till the day I die. Have you had an encounter with the resurrected Christ? That's different than religion. That's different than going to church. That's different even than reading your Bible. Although it can happen as you read the living word. An encounter. Have you had an encounter with Christ? Because that's what 
changed Paul. And he recognizes that even in all his supposed perfection of seeking to please a God through legal means, that he himself, along with Titus, along with every other human being, every other Christian prior to Christ, I hope you can say yes and amen, I'm in there, was Foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Pick one, pick several, but you can't leave yourself out. I can't leave myself out. If you think you're leaving yourself out, I think you better do a little more introspective looking. For there are none good, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See, these are the things Paul is saying to Titus that I want you to speak confidently and often to the Christians on Crete because, but when the kindness, verse 4 of chapter 3, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared... God's kindness in the person of Christ, God's kindness in the work of Christ, God's kindness in the obedience of Christ to the command of his Father to take to the cross of Calvary every evil, wicked deed and thought and word and action that you and I have ever done throughout our entire life and nail it to the cross so that by his efficient blood, you and I can be forgiven this morning. Can I hear an amen? Amen. That's how we're forgiven. The kindness and the love of God, our Savior, appeared. Remind them of these things. And that having been justified, as we talked last week in verse 7, by his grace, we become heirs. A heavenly document has been written for each one of you and I that says you are now an heir. You're part of all of that my kingdom has and possesses in the person and in the work of Christ who dwells in you richly. You're not a pauper anymore. I'm not a pauper anymore. We are a king's kid. And you know what that means? Sometimes that means suffering, hardship, pain, broken heart. As the things in this life continue. For he suffered all things. And this is a faithful saying, Paul says, that all of these things I want you to remind them about to those who have believed in God that they should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. That's what's profitable, Titus. That's what's profitable, church, to remember all those things. But... There are things that are unprofitable 
in the life of a Christian things that they should avoid and reject. And so Paul takes Titus to that in verse 9, if you'll come with me. Chapter 3, verse 9, he says, But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law. For they are unprofitable and useless. What is the they in that verse and in that sentence? What is the they? If you, if you mark your Bible or take note, circle what you think the they is. You see, there's something called inductive Bible study. And so often in inductive Bible study, what you're seeking and I'm seeking to do is just observe, observe, observe what's in the text. So that after multiple times of observation, I begin to be able to interpret correctly what the text is saying. And then once I have a correct interpretation, I can then rightly apply it to my life. Observe, 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 interpret, apply. So what is the they in that verse? The they is disputes genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law. And why would Ty Paul encourage Titus that, you know, as a loving Christian person out there on the island of Crete, just in the town of Valley Springs and in the hills of San Andreas and, and Mountain Ranch and Paloma and all around, you know, we're supposed to be all welcoming and everything, but there is something that I want you to be mindful of that you should avoid... Foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law. Now, you and I both this morning, if you've been reading your Bible for any um, length of time, know that this is most commonly dealing with what? The law of Moses, right? It's talking about the law of Moses, which would mean that there would be a, a contingency of individuals in small little gatherings on the island of Crete in the church that would have some understanding of Judaism and the law of Moses. But the word avoid is very important here. It's not talking about like excommunication or kicking out. It's actually turn and go in a different direction. In other words, if you know that that's what's coming with that individual, turn and go a different direction. By the time that Jesus Christ arrives on the scene and Judaism had been employed for uh, just shy of a couple thousand years, actually more than that, closer to three, around in there. We can do the math later. But by the time we get to the end of the Old Testament, you and I are familiar with what we call the, uh, the Ten Commandments, right? And if you went through your Christian early years thinking that, okay, in the Old Testament there's Ten Commandments, and then we have Jesus' loving letter to us. And yeah, there's a, some things in there I should obey, but those are the ten I'm supposed to not do, right? Or do and not do. There should be no other God except that God. 
Remember the Sabbath. Honor your mother and father, etc., right? Do you know that by the time Jesus came onto the scene, scribes who were to interpret the law of Moses into a moral um, set of rules for the Jewish and Hebrew community had developed 613 laws. 613. 613. And so the point being is that if any one of those 613 became an argument point for whether or not a person was able to have a relationship with the true and the living God and only wanted to go on disputing that, exercising the fact that the Hebrew uh, nation leaned heavily on its genealogy, what family it had come from, and that that family then equated to either a close relationship with God or not, that those discussions could become arguments, and in the argument it would become contentious, and in the contention there would be a striving on the part of the one who was so sure it's still all about the law. Now, how does that apply to me and you? It applies to me and you this way, I believe very clearly, is if someone begins to tell you who have placed your faith in Jesus Christ that it is Christ plus anything, that they're doing no different than that. It's Christ plus Uh, your service in the church. It's Christ plus your uh, obeying uh, every command that Jesus has given. It's Christ plus, oh, you got to be baptized. Or it's Christ, you got to be baptized in Jesus' name. It's Christ plus, oh, you got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Christ plus, it's not Christ plus anything. Christ alone. On Christ alone, the rock I stand. There is nothing else. And there's no difference in someone who would become contentious about that. You might look with me in your Bible real quickly to Romans chapter 8. If you want to turn backwards there, Romans chapter 8. Keep your hand in Titus 3. For we, we, we read in Romans 8, the first four verses are conclusive about this. It says, verse 1 of chapter 8 of Romans, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, 
he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The righteous requirement that the law brings is now fulfilled in us who walk in the spirit in believing in Christ. There's no need for a contention or a striving. And Paul tells Titus to tell the Christians, hey, avoid that. But he he wants to allow them to understand also something that they are to reject. And so I bring us to verse 10. And turn back to Titus 3, verse 10. Interesting That's what you avoid, and here's what I want you to reject. He tells them, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, verse 11, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. Now, once again, um, the importance of knowing the word reject, we have uh, translated it and interpreted uh, quite literally in our culture, in our day and age, when in its origin, it simply means it's not talking about excommunicating. It's talking about this, if you're taking note, to leave out of account. To reject is to leave out of account. In other words, don't take into consideration. Leave out of account what? A divisive man after the first and second admonition. So he's telling him that you run into someone who is divisive, you can admonish that person that what they're doing is bringing division into this little community of believers that we have here on this part of the island of Crete. And you admonish him to stop being divisive. And if he he or she continues to come with a divisive word, divisive message, and the second time, hey, I, I, I told you the first time, I'm going to tell you one more time. Don't bring that divisive position, doctrine, behavior here into our, our fellowship. It's, it's, it's wrestling the sheep. And on the third one, the directive is to not take into account this individual anymore. Now, there is a very important principle being spoken here. While you've got your Bible, I want you to turn backwards again now to the Old Testament, to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. You can keep your hand in chapter 3 of Titus, and we'll close it out in just a minute. Proverbs chapter 6, about in the middle of your Bible... If you've gone to Psalms, you're too far, go to the right. Proverbs chapter 6. Some of you are probably very familiar with this particular section of verses that I'm going to point us to, but I'm going to take us to Proverbs 6, verses 16. Okay. Proverbs 6, verses 16. And as we read there, we find something very connected and important to what Paul was telling Titus. Notice, verse 16 says, 
These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. And then we get the list. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and the seventh, and one who sows discord among the brethren. These six things, yea, even seven, the Lord hates. It breaks God's heart when a man or a woman comes into any size fellowship with a divisive attitude, a divisive word, a divisive doctrine, and just starts sowing that discord in that, in that body of believers. Oops. Quite all right. I keep being asked to remind us at the beginning of services, yes, if you have your cell phone, turn them off. So imagine we're at the beginning of the service. By the way, if you have a cell phone, you might want to turn it off. And it lightens the moment, doesn't it? Because all of a sudden we're right there to where we get a hint of of the severity of being divisive in a fellowship. And what does that mean? Well, it can mean several things to us. I love the united spirit that we have here and have enjoyed here for so many years here at Calvary Chapel, Valley Springs. I believe in, in so many ways we are extremely united and not divided. But there have been some historical moments throughout the 25 years here where an individual or two has come in with a divisive word, intending to divide this fellowship and and break it up and sow discord. So the bottom line here would be we often encourage folks that if if they have a problem with something that's going on in the church, something that's being taught, uh, our perspective on leadership or um, ministries and events, that we would have an open dialogue about it. We'd be able to speak with one another about it, that you would take time to speak to any one of our elders or myself and and talk that through, and that if something were to arrive to where you just could not agree with how we believe the Lord is at work here, that instead of staying and creating discord, that you would just quietly leave. Go where you can agree. Go where you can be in support of of the ministry, of, of its perspectives and its teachings and the workings of its ministries. Because God really has a broken heart when someone sows discord in a fellowship. All right, back to chapter 3 of Titus, and we'll end it out here this morning. Uh, Verse 12, we we read that Paul wanted Titus to send Artemis to him, uh, 
or Tychicus, being diligent to come to him at uh, Nicopolis, that he had decided he would spend the winter there. He also gave Titus the directive in verse 13 to send Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey with haste, that they may lack nothing. Isn't it a beautiful thing when you see a lawyer coming to Christ and working within the framework of, of being a lawyer? We have some great attorneys that are um, all throughout our country, Christian attorneys, specifically here locally, we have a, an entire organization, Pacific Justice Institute, um, is a national organization that has attorneys that work for free to protect uh, religious liberties and churches and individuals, uh, not just churches, those who are uh, threatened by what's happening in public schools or public arenas. So wonderful thing when a lawyer comes to Christ, Paul said, send Zenos, send Apollos, and in verse 14, and let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. Just that reminder again of what Christ working in the human heart and the body of believers would look like. And let our people, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 15 he says, all who are with me greet you, greet those who love us in the faith, grace be with you all. Amen. These things, remember, but also avoid and reject. These things, remember, Titus, but also be willing to avoid and reject. And we take that word to uh, the living room of our experience this morning, and we say to it, okay, Lord, show me, show me how those things that I'm reminded of in this text to embrace and to be a part of my life and those things that I am instructed to avoid and reject can work themselves out in the week ahead, the months that follow, and in my life in general. Will you join me as we pray? We'll close. Team. Lord, as we prepare our hearts to again just engage in singing and worship, we're so grateful for your word this morning. And trusting that your promise is, is that when your word goes out, that when it is spoken and read, when it is received into the human heart, that as your word goes out of your mouth, it, it accomplishes the thing for which it has been sent. And so this morning, Lord, we're going to trust and believe that once again, your word is accomplishing. Change in our hearts, Lord. Your word is accomplishing insight into our lives. 
And that even now, there may be some listening, some here, some watching, that are reminded of your faithfulness. Lord, I know what I once was. Perhaps we all can say, yes, we once were. But when your kindness appeared in our lives and the love of God, we stand so thankful that you are faithful even when we are not. So we will worship you and praise you and thank you for your faithfulness this morning, Lord. For we ask that you receive it in Jesus' name.